1: Hello, this is Lawfare intern Christiana Wayne with an episode from the Lawfare Archives from July 31st, 2021. The Olympics are in full swing in Tokyo. No in-person spectators are allowed, but the Games, as always, are drawing international attention and generating storylines beyond the sports themselves. Russian athletes are competing under an organization called the Russian Olympics Committee because the Russian nation itself is barred from competing after the country's massive doping scandal at the Sochi Olympics and earlier was exposed and prosecuted over the last few years. For this episode from the archives, I chose an August 2017 conversation between Benjamin Wittes and filmmaker Brian Fogel about his documentary, Icarus, which provides a first hand look at the do- Russian doping scandal through the experience of one of its main architects. They talk about the level of Russian corruption Why authoritarian leaders care about international sports in the first place, and how Putin's behavior during the 2014 Sochi Olympics and the fallout of the scandal mirrors his approach to foreign policy.
0: I'm Benjamin Wittes, and this is the Lawfare Podcast, August 12th, 2017. The film Icarus by Brian Fogel is a new Netflix documentary about Russian Olympic doping and the defection of the chief scientist at Russia's anti-doping lab, a man named Grigory Rodchenkov. At one level, it's a movie about sports and cheating in them by a state actor. At another level, it's a movie about something that will be very familiar to Lawfare readers and listeners of this podcast. Russian tampering with international processes in order to destroy their integrity. No, the film is not about Russian tampering in the US election, but people interested in that subject will be interested in this film and will see eerie parallels. Director Brian Fogel, who did not know when he started working on this movie that it would be a film about international intrigue, but thought he was doing a film about self-doping, joined me this week to discuss the new release. It's the Lawfare Podcast, episode 242, Brian Fogel on Icarus. Let's start with the film you thought you were going to make, um, which is itself an eccentric and interesting project. Uh, walk us through how you got into this.
2: Well, I I, I got into it um, I, I, creatively. My life has been as a filmmaker. Previous to that, I, I wrote a play, a book. Um, so the uh, the creative pursuit of of my life and making film was was not new to me. Um, but uh, my lifelong passion has been cycling, and I started riding when I was thirteen years old. Cycling, I raced for a number of years and. And like many people in the world, I was obsessed with Lance Armstrong. And, um, and you know, I followed the story closely. And when he confessed in 2013, the biggest thing that struck me was this guy to this day had never failed an anti-doping test. To this day, he had passed 500 some odd tests clean. And the only way they were able to get this guy was through a criminal investigation where his own teammates, who did the same thing as he did, ratted him out, ratted him out in exchange for their own immunity. So I was curious what had failed in the system, because what was being, you know, uh, trumpeted to the media as this huge success for anti-doping and this and that they had finally essentially got Al Capone. It was essentially like getting Al Capone for tax evasion. And everything that they was supposed to have caught him had failed. And so I got curious about that, and I started talking to all these scientists. And one after another, they, they essentially told me that the system doesn't work. And then they told me that the science could, you know, you could still evade detection. And I started uh, essentially developing this idea that I wanted to explore the anti-doping system uh, in sport, not just cycling, but in sport, because I'm going... If the most tested athlete on planet Earth has been able to pass through all the tests, what does this mean for all of sports? And in that process, I would turn myself into a guinea pig, dope myself, find somebody to advise me on how to do it, find somebody to test my samples, and in the process of making this film, uh, not only show firsthand what these performance-enhancing drugs do, but also explore whether or not uh, the system the tests athletes, actually works. And that was the project and the film that I decided to to set out to make in uh, 2014.
0: And to be clear, you did not think at the time that you were making a film about Russia in particular or about Russian uh, 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 dope spoofing in particular. You were looking uh, at what you could show about what one could get away with in general, right?
2: Yes. I mean, at, at the time, I mean, first of all, I, I could have never imagined where the story was going to go when I started on it. I could have never imagined uh, that Russia would be in the news every day and, and the current U.S. administration, um, or so on and so forth. Um, so the Russia element and how that story developed, um, was not what I set out to make. Yet, when the film pivots and uh, and it's clear what had happened and who I was dealing with, um, it also became clear that, that the story and what was my primary objective in making the film uh, could no longer be what the film was ultimately about. So... One thing
0: that has puzzled me both times I watched this film and that actually you in the film scratch your head about a little bit is what the motivation of the, what the person who becomes the main character, character Grigory Redchenkov, is in helping you with this self-doping project to begin with. Uh for listeners who have not seen the film, uh, basically the only scientist that you were able to get to help supervise this uh, self-doping program is uh, this uh, fellow, Rodchenkov, who was at the time the head of the Russian uh, anti-doping program. And uh, he, for some reason, allows himself to be uh a uh, a participant in this uh project and so my question in retrospect why did he get involved with you in this film in the
2: first place in your mind well um you know i've i've had this question so many times and uh I, there there's there's a part of the film that uh, that that we that we don't see or really a part of the story that we don't see, and the reason why um, is because I didn't film it. Um, I, I met Gregory. I, I first got into contact with Gregory. It was uh, April 2014, so this was just a month after Sochi, and I had been in touch through Catlin, and I presented myself just purely. You know, as as an American documentary filmmaker looking to do a documentary on the anti-doping system, whether or not it was working, and more specifically on whether or not Armstrong could still get away with the test. Um, So we started emailing uh, quite a bit. That led to phone calls. And then in July 2014, um, uh, while I was training clean for the first race in, in Boulder, Colorado, getting ready to go to Europe he invited me to come and meet him uh, at a symposium in Oregon that he was lecturing at, ahead of the uh, Junior World uh, Athletic uh, Championships there that year. And so I go up there and meet him, and, and rather than bringing my camera or anything like that, I go up there simply to meet him. Um, and and we spend two days together, and during that time we, we talk and we bond, and we just immediately just hit it off when we're, when we're friends. And after the first day, I, I say to him, "Hey, look, um, here's the film that I want to make, and this is what I want to do. Would you help me?" And he goes, um, "Yeah, I'll I'll help you." And and uh, and you know, there was no cameras or anything like that. And I said, "Look, um, uh, you know, uh, anything I shoot at the end of the day." Uh when we're done, I, I, I want to make sure that, you know, I don't jeopardize you and your and your work and you know, we, we can discuss it. And uh and with that we had a, a handshake. Uh there was never, ever, uh, a drop of money, ever exchanged between us. And you know, six months later, as I'm about ready to dope and start doping, is the first time that we actually use Skype. And that Skype call which is in the film was the very first time that we Skyped together and I hadn't seen him you know, at that point for months, but we had kept in touch. And and so we had a, a, a real kind of friendship and a trust between us, and I think that that is why he initially agreed to help me. And also, you know, he told me many times that he had really had it uh, with the ministry. Sochi broke him because it wasn't about the science, it was just him essentially uh, being part of the fraud. and. Um, And I think and I think he also sensed um, that uh, that, you know, the the circle was closing in around him.
0: At what point did you realize that the story was at least insignificant part about him rather than the story being uh, a story of this undertaking that you were doing with which he was helping you?
2: You know uh, that was kind of like a slow process, but it, but it but it also was, you know, through every single time that that we're together, um, and I see him and he comes to LA, and and I'm and I'm interviewing and interviewing him, and so many of the interviews that we did uh, together are not in the film. It, it's becoming clearer and clearer to me that, you know, that this guy has got, you know, a, an amazing life, an amazing story. Um, so, you know, even before the, the larger allegations, um, truly become clear, um, I'm trying to essentially figure out, um, how to integrate his story into the film because I'm riveted by it. Um, and then of course, as November, uh, 2015 happens in this investigation and he leaves Russia in fear, in fear of his life. And he arrives in Los Angeles, and um, it was really around that time that, it, that you know I, I I accepted and embraced that it was his story that I needed to tell um, in this film, and 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 bigger than that, the evidence that he had and and what he had been involved with, uh, regardless of the film, uh, was something that 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 had to come public into the world and. And he wanted to do that.
0: From the point of view of, of the readership of Lawfare, and for that matter, the listenership of the Lawfare podcast, which is not a sports or sports doping audience, um, the reason this story, at least to me, is fascinating is that it is a story of the use of covert actions to subvert uh, independent processes that are supposed to have integrity. And your, your original game plan, which was to simply demonstrate by doing it that the systems didn't have integrity, actually gave way to a giant demonstration project at the hands of a state actor that The systems didn't have integrity or at least to the extent that they had any integrity. It was it was very manipulable. Uh, And you happen to be working with the guy at the center of that set of actions. Um, Now, I'm interested, first of all, in your thoughts generally on, you, you know, there is this other Russian covert action program directed at the integrity of other uh, uh, foreign uh, processes that are supposed to have integrity, i.e. electoral processes. And I'm interested in your thoughts on the sort of general political ambience in which this movie has made its appearance. And, uh, you know, I wrote some thoughts today about how this relates to... um, to uh, ongoing news events. But I'm interested in your thoughts about it. Is this is this an isolated story or is this, um, you know, at some level a metaphor for some larger political set of conversations that we're having about the role of Russian uh, uh, active measures?
2: Oh. Well, Ben, you know, in, in the film, we latch on to 1984, uh, you know, and, and, and George Orwell. And essentially, what is the, the, the narrative theme of that book, which we uh, bring into the narrative theme of Gregory's life, and then into the larger context, um, really the, the theme of what is going on in, in the current U.S. administration, uh, current uh, global policies and 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 specifically uh in regards to how russia uh is behaving uh and has behaved in, in 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 many fashions and 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 what we see in this kind of orwellian um thematic narrative that we put forward in the film is, is mirroring itself in real life and and, uh, and Gregory goes through these three stages of, of, of Winston Smith's reintegration, of learning, understanding, and acceptance. And in acceptance, essentially the, the totalitarian government, Big Brother, wins, and that the truth um, is of not consequence. There is essentially, A, no punishment for the truth. B, there is, there is denial of the truth. And see everything goes on as normal, and um, and I think that that we're seeing that right now um, in regards to uh, the media handling of Russia. Uh, we're seeing it in, in regards to what is uh, exposed in the film, which is this spectacular fraud uh, against all of sport for 40 years, and the IOC, the Olympics, essentially. You know fails to take any punishment or action and now they're talking about a 50 million dollar fine uh, to allow Russia to be in the Winter Olympics so uh, again the only so the Olympics essentially gets another 50 million dollars in their pocket while every clean athlete in the world has been defrauded and Russia essentially gets away with it and then in regards to our political uh, process what you see in the film is that no matter how how much evidence is presented against Russia, no matter what is brought forward, they simply deny there is no accountability uh, for their actions. there is no apology or there's no change and we're seeing the same thing near itself in, in our in our daily political cycle, where everything that that is breaking is a, you know essentially is accused of being fake news. No matter how much evidence is brought forward, we're, we're, we're simply having Russia or, or the current administration deny. And, 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 we're, and we're seeing everything that, that happens in, in Icarus as a film repeat itself in, in our very you know, uh, uh, political cycle, uh, geopolitically, and, uh, and hits right on the nose as to the extent that Russia is willing to go. To subvert and covert uh, and corrupt, you know, uh, uh, democracies, uh, sports organizations, the Olympics, et cetera, to uh, to you know to push itself into into the global uh, arena. Um, I don't know how you feel about that, but that's certainly uh, uh, how I feel, and I think what what the film shows uh, very importantly uh is beyond a reasonable doubt it it presents the evidence uh should uh, uh an american or somebody watch this film and wonder uh to what extent is russia willing to go uh to assert itself into uh world politics and also obstruct uh democracies
0: so before we get to exploring those parallels a little bit further um I want to pause over the question of why Vladimir Putin cares about sports performance at the level uh, enough to do these things. I I mean, I know that, you know, traditionally authoritarian governments, uh, whether they be, you know, the Chinese or, or the Soviets or now the Russians or for that matter, the Nazis care a lot about international athletics as a as a as a form of national pride but why uh why is performance at Sochi so important to Putin why why does he care enough to take the risks associated with this um you know with these actions
2: well to me the the answer is obvious um First of all, let's, let's just think about the Olympics as an event. What, what are the Olympics? The Olympics are every two years, all of planet Earth, every country on planet Earth coming together in sport. And just as George Orwell said, sport is war without the weapons. So what the Olympics are is it's China versus America, America versus Russia. France versus Germany, on and on and on. And when these athletes go into these, the Olympic Games, they're no longer competing as individuals. They are competing as their country. And these Olympic Games, which are watched all over the world, is where people are, are not only is it nationalistic and a source of pride, it is a place for countries to assert their dominance on the fields of play into world affairs, to show themselves as a powerful country. And also, when you look at the host country of these Olympics, for example, what China did in Beijing and how they orchestrated this flawless Olympics and those opening ceremonies and closing ceremonies, what China was showing the world was how advanced they were, how they were superior, how they could operate economically, militarily, that they were a force to be reckoned with. And that's what we learned out of those Beijing Olympics. And then you look at Sochi, what that money was investing in and what that money was behind was to show the world that Russia was not a second world country, that Russia was a first world country, that they were a global power, that they were beyond just a military nuclear superpower, but that they could pull off these Olympics. They could build, they could create roads, they could construct. And not only that, they could win. And so when you look at, at what that was on, on a political, a geopolitical level for the world to see and for Vladimir Putin to show the world how powerful Russia is, what Russia is capable of doing, um, it makes sense the extent to which he would go to win. I mean, to spend $50 billion to host an Olympic Games, which I think is two or three times the amount of money ever spent on an Olympics before and to lose, that would that would look absurd. So it wasn't just to host the games, it was to win. Because if Russia could win at its own Olympics, not only was it national pride, not only did it consolidate his power as a leader, it was showing the entire world how powerful Russia was, how powerful Putin is, and you know, and, and, and that they are a country politically and economically to be reckoned with. And, and, that's, and that's why uh, he did that. And that's why it was so important because it's so, so much further beyond just a gold medal. The gold medal is just the, is just the you know, the icing on the cake. But, but, but what it was about was, was asserting Russia as, as a geopolitical force into the world and showing the world how powerful they are. Hi,
0: I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter, So when you compare that to the uh, presumably more strategic objectives associated with, uh, you know, hacking actions in order to tamper with foreign electoral processes, be they in the United States or in Europe, um, does does that. Seem, I mean, on the one hand, the objectives are quite different, right? One is presumably to, uh, you, you know, is, is to make a statement about Russian power. The other, depending on whom you believe, is either to uh, advantage uh, one set of candidates at the expense of another, or or merely to sort of sow discord within Western uh, countries and sort of create create kind of political chaos. Um, how do you understand, uh, the similarities and differences between, between the Russian objectives and these, in these, I mean, what they have in common is that they both involve these very elaborate, quite risky measures in order to subvert these processes. But uh, do you look at it and, and assume, well, they're probably doing this in everything that they can kind of cheat in, or Do you say that there's something very particular about these two types of areas that kind of beg for this sort of uh, this sort of action?
2: Well, I think I think in regards to, let's say, the um, uh, election election hacking, if we if we single that out, um, you know, one of the things that kind of was, was covered up or not covered up or just not really put out in public is, you know, the, the declassified report that was released by the CIA, FBI, NSA, I believe it was January 7th, um, they listed seven reasons as to why they felt that, that Putin hacked the election, why Russia hacked the election. And reason number three was, for as they listed, based on their investigation, for what they felt was uh, his upset or revenge what he believed was the American involvement in embarrassing Russia in the doping scandal, and also what he believed was the American involvement in the leaking of the Panama Papers. And what they meant by that was because Gregory had come to the U.S., because the Department of Justice um, and FBI had launched a formal investigation into the Russian doping uh, scandal, because the story was brought forward to the New York Times, uh, an American publication, and because Gregory was being protected by U.S. authorities, uh, Russia or Putin viewed that as basically that America uh, was working, you know, essentially uh, behind the scenes to uh, to embarrass Russia. Um, I don't know whether or not that is true, but that is what the FBI, the CIA, and, and NSA found. And there was also a fortuitous timing. Um we went to the, the New York Times story broke May twelfth. Uh May 17th, the um, the Justice uh Department uh launched and announced their investigation into uh the doping scandal, which we had brought forward to the New York Times, and uh almost exactly a month after uh apparently the DNC uh was hacked. Um so you know there is a uh, there is a uh kind of strange timing uh to those events um but i think when when you're looking at a at a bigger level um is is what you're seeing is that the the course of business at least in regards uh to russia is that anything is up for grabs and however you go about doing that uh is is acceptable as long as as long as you you get away with it. And even if you get caught, then you don't accept responsibility for the action either. Um, and, you know, and, and we're seeing that in regards to, you know, our election, where there still has been no admission uh, 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 of guilt uh, or, or responsibility. Uh, we're seeing that again uh, in, you know, what's alleged in France and, and Germany. We're seeing that in, you know, what, what uh, their course of action has been in Syria. Uh, So, you know, it it seems to be, uh, you know, how how they go about doing business.
0: So one one big difference between the election hacking uh, operations and the uh, anti-doping subversion operations is that one of them has Grigory Rodchenko and the other does not. Right. And so we have somebody who's come forward and talked about what they did and from the inside and his own role in it. And from your account, uh, it sounds like he kind of got involved in your project because he was uh, uh, emotionally exhausted by ongoing participation in this sort of thing. And so my question is, you know are there grigory rudchenko's in these other operational theaters and you know should we should we expect or hope for somebody to come forward at, from the inside of the Russian side of the uh, of the operations and talk about what those operations were, how they did them and, you know, sort of precisely what they did. Or is that just one of those things that happens, you know, once in a thousand years and you happen to be making a film with the guy when it did?
2: Well, you know, in in regards to Rukchenkov and and him coming forward with this information and um, the kind of the, the spectacularness of, of the of the allegations and and that also they were you know all corroborated and and and, and proven true um that was obviously you know uh, incredible in the fortuitousness of of my relationship with gregory and that and that we had trust in each other but as to you know other whistleblowers and what and what this is i mean we are seeing um a constant essentially uh, you know, let let's take for example the the apparent Trump dossier. Well, there's the ex British uh, MI6 agent, and then there was his Russian intelligence KGB or FSB counterpart. Well, this was not very widely reported in the media, but that but the Russian counterpart uh, to to the Trump dossier uh, is dead. Uh, he was found dead in, in the back of Alexis somewhere outside of Moscow uh I believe two two, three months ago, right? So so what we're seeing is that anybody that the Russia deems to be a, a potential enemy of the state, uh they they wind up uh dead under mysterious circumstances. I mean we, we see this with Nikita Kamayov who was um uh Gregory's uh, kind of uh, partner in the operation, Nikita was running the Russian anti-doping agency uh, that was, you know, clearly just to dope athletes and cover it up. And Gregory's running the lab, and Nikita uh, gets in touch with David Walsh, the Sunday Times journalist, uh, back in February of of 2016, telling him that he's going to, you know, essentially would like to meet him, and, and he's got a story to tell. And within days. Uh, Nikita dies at age fifty two of a heart attack. Um, there's been apparently fourteen deaths uh in the UK over the last year or two under uh under I believe it was a um uh what was the publication that uh investigated that um, Buzzfeed uh that, that had investigated you know this this link to all these mysterious deaths in London uh tied to you know enemies of Putin. So I think the question is 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 whether or not uh, there is somebody like Gregory willing to come out um, and 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 put his life at risk and find a way to tell that story. And clearly what we're seeing is that Russia has been very effective at, at eliminating uh, its enemies who have information against it.
0: So just in case our uh, listeners hear this last answer to my question and think you are a stark, raving, paranoid person... Uh, Where is Gregory today?
2: Gregory is in protective custody uh, from the U.S. Department of Justice and the FBI. And and the reason why he is in protective custody um, is they had uh, garnered substantial information uh, that he was under surveillance, uh, that that the Department of Justice and FBI uh, viewed that his life uh, was in threat and jeopardy, and so um, in the middle of July of last year, we facilitated him uh, into the protected custody of the U.S. government. And, you know, as you see in, in the film, um, there is, and we don't spend a ton of time with it, but, I mean, there are some startling things that, that, that Russia did. We, we see that they had hacked or, or were somehow secretly recording the Skype calls That he was having with his sister uh, while in the united states uh, before he went into protective custody Uh, they were monitoring and doing surveillance on all of his family they raided his homes they took their passports they seized uh, the family's assets Um, uh, and then i was the uh, subject of multiple television shows and news articles in russia where they had hacked all of his emails and had all of our email exchanges and all the photos that I had sent back and forth to each other. And uh, they had turned these into various television shows on, on Russian One, where uh, in one case I saw myself as a cartoon, in another case it was an actor playing me. I mean, it was it was extensive. Uh, so, yeah, uh, long story short is uh, he is in protected custody.
0: And further, long story short, they are not playing with respect to people who they think um, may have information that would be damaging to uh, to actions of the sort that that he is describing.
2: Well, I mean, look at look at uh, look at Sergei uh, the name Magnitsky, and what is the current Magnitsky Act, and and Bill Browder and his book Red Notice. Um, where he goes into extensive extensive detail as to uh as to Russian actions to you know not only uh, you know did, did they believe that you know he he was poisoned and, and and killed but you know uh what was going on behind the scenes or you know Marsha Gessen's book about the rise of Vladimir Putin and how he essentially took power and and uh, uh and you know all the people that perished along the way so I mean, clearly, uh, clearly they, uh, they they play by a different set of rules.
0: So what happens now uh, in uh, is your the, the the movie ends in a very dark place with respect to uh, them basically having sort of gotten away with it. Um, and I, I'm curious whether you think at this point that they're simply isn't the political will internationally to do anything about it, or whether partly, maybe because of the electoral interference, we might see a, a kind of renewed commitment on the part of of other countries and maybe even international organizations to take this sort of behavior more seriously?
2: Um, I would like to be optimistic, but but what, what we're seeing, and this was, um, you know, uh, let, let's just take the quote-unquote doping out of the equation. But let's look at let's look at the fraud that is uncovered in this film, and it is a spectacular fraud. It is a jaw-dropping fraud. I mean, not only was for the last 40 years Russia essentially doping all of its athletes under a state-sponsored program to go in and cheat every single clean athlete in the world. At Sochi what they did was just outright the equivalent of, of of breaking into into the bank vault because they owned the bank and swapping, you know, counterfeit money for real money and 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 you would think that they, and and this was all proven and you would go there has to be a punishment for this. There has to be a punishment. And yet what we are seeing is that the Olympics in their multi multi, multi billion dollar operation and what really the Olympics is, despite the faith of the Olympics, which is integrity and truth and, and clean sport and all these feel good kind of narratives, at the bottom of the line, what the Olympics is, is is a lot of people getting really, really rich on the Olympics. And here they are not going to punish Russia. The punishment is what they what they are what what we're being told now. Is going to be a 50 million dollar fine to Russia. So essentially, what the Olympics is letting the world know is that Russia can simply just bribe their way out of the out of the problem by bribing the Olympics to to compete again. Yet there's no punishment. So I mean, it's 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 spectacular. So you go well. Well, so what is the world doing to doing in regards to this? I mean. Every athlete on planet Earth should be should be jumping up and down and screaming bloody murder right now. But 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 they're not. And it appears that 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 Russia is essentially going to get away with this.
0: So speaking of punishment um, and accountability, there is one athlete in your account who clearly uh, doped illegally. Uh, in the context of an international competition, and that is you. And so my question is, have you heard anything, because it would be a, 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 the ultimate irony if the athlete who were held accountable for doping in the context of this incredible story were you. And I'm curious whether you've heard anything from any international doping authorities or from uh, the hot Root folks who, who run that race, about uh what you did and whether they're okay with it or
2: not. Well um I, I didn't win. <laughs> so, <laughs> uh, per, per, perhaps perhaps if I won uh then then maybe there'd be a, a, a bigger cry to action. Um but you know, uh I, I didn't win. So in in many ways I guess I look uh uh like a failure <laughs> in the in the in the world of uh of uh of what performance enhancing drugs can actually do or do not for you um but um you know i i i i haven't uh, i haven't heard anything um I, I can't imagine what um what sanctions would be taken against me because i'm not a, a professional athlete i'm not licensed uh i'm not planning to go do that race again anytime soon um but um, yeah, I, I mean, look, I, I set out from day one not not to cheat. I set out to to tell a larger story. I mean, I had a, I had a very clear goal in mind when I when I set out to do this, and I chose to use myself as the guinea pig because I didn't know uh, a better way to tell that story, but also to to have commitment to that story. Because when you hire somebody, you bring on an actor or whatever that is, or somebody else. You don't know uh, if they might get cold feet. And I knew with myself, uh, being the filmmaker and being the subject at the time, uh, that uh, the only cold feet would be from, from me.
0: Brian Fogel, the film is an incredible piece of work. Thank you so much for making it and for joining us today.
2: Uh, thank, thank, thank you. Thank you so much, Ben.
0: The Lawfare Podcast is produced in cooperation with the Brookings Institution. Hey folks, the Lawfare Podcast needs your help to break through to new audiences, so tweet us, share us on Facebook, give us that five-star rating you've been meaning to give us on iTunes, Stitcher, or whatever podcast distribution services you use. Our music is, as ever, performed by the one, the only, the abroad in an authoritarian state, Sophia Yan. Thanks for listening. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter.